Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host, Lois Drachen, as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Seeing, a podcast where we talk all things disability. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. And for ages, I've been wanting to dive into the somewhat overwhelming topic of employment and employability for persons with disabilities. It's a big topic, and I do know that. So what I decided to do is to really try and break it down into smaller segments. And to do that, I'm approaching inclusion specialist Jeremy Opperman to to help us really break down this topic into manageable sizes. Jeremy, how are you doing? Oh, it's good to be back. Lois, thank you so much. Uh, it's wonderful to be back. I'm well. Well, you're no stranger to the Different Way of Seeing podcast, and it, it's great to have you back with us, particularly since this is an area that you do specialize in with the work you do. But maybe to start off with, we can just ask you to just let us know a little bit about your background in this specific topic. Sure. Thanks, Lois. So so I'm blind and I was visually impaired or low vision for many years. And it's only in my late 50s that I, I, I'm absolutely functionally blind. But the low vision was significant all my life. So my first part, my first career was in not really a career, but my first jobs, the first decade of working was in the human resource area. And I'd also done a degree in public administration with a, a, a half major in personnel management. So I've always had something of an HR bent. And so my first 10 years were working in sales and marketing in the human resource area. So I understood human resources. My clients were human resource people. Um, training and development was the, in fact, the key product that I was selling. So I really got an insight into that side. Then 10 years after I started in 99, I started my own business, ostensibly a marketing business. But very quickly, literally within a year, I had shifted it to become, certainly marketing and sales was important, but I shifted it to, to literally um, deal with one of the areas that I noticed more and more companies were asking me about which was disability equity. And so um, very few people understood that. And I'll explain why the interest just now. But essentially, the Employment Equity Act had just come out in 1998. And there was a flurry of activity about how to deal with this, this thing. How, how do we employ people with disabilities? Panic, panic. And so I, I spent the next 24 years doing nothing but that, working at, at various levels and in various ways to deal with the subject. So you can certainly say that I have some experience in this area. Yeah. And you've got a particular approach that you take to the employment equity field. 
Tell us a little bit about that. So I need to give a bit of a history lesson, if you don't mind, Lois. It's important. So uh, for those of you who aren't South African, you'll appreciate, you might not necessarily appreciate the the timing here. So in 1994, South Africa um, made its great transformation from a a very harsh, dictatorial, racist uh, apartheid regime towards a democratic country. And as a result, we had 300 years of catch-up uh, in terms of um, anti-segregation work. We had to somehow embrace the idea of inclusion from a racial, particularly a racial point of view as well as gender. So a lot of effort, a lot of work needed to be done. Um, in 1996, we created a constitution. And to take this into a disability context, it was one of the few constitutions in the world, literally there were only four at the time, that recognized disability as an actual thing in the Constitution. And we were terribly proud of that. Now, at the same time, in many countries in the world, they were already um, working on uh, overarching legislation for disability rights. America by then already had the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, for literally for six years already. Um, the, The British... Um, or the UK rather had the DDA, the Disability Discrimination Act, literally came out the year before we got our constitution. Now, what that means is they had overarching legislation specific, what's called explicit disability legislation. We, on the other hand, did not. So what we did was we had our constitution that acknowledged disability. But, and we honestly believe naively, I believe that we would then, everything after that would fall into place in the reflected grow glow of this wonderful constitution. So in retrospect, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. But the next piece of legislation that was significant around disability was in 1998. Two years later, we promulgated the Employment Equity Act. And that was very exciting for people with disabilities in this country. And um, so... So what that meant literally was employment equity is literally affirmative action legislation. Now, affirmative action has a very bad press or bad reputation around the world, particularly in Western countries. Um, People don't like affirmative action. They don't believe it works. And that's because the people that they're trying to protect are usually minorities. In our country, of course, we have a majority that was um, segregated, that was discriminated against, and that was subjugated. And so affirmative action is a very different animal when you're dealing with the majority as opposed to the minority. So in the Employment Equity Act, there was a wonderful um, inclusive statement. So not only were we to look at affirmative action measures for people of color, in other words, race, women, gender, and people with disabilities. And that was so exciting. So we thought, yes, we're onto something. And so, yeah, so there's, there's the, there's the thing. Now I've spent, that's, that's just the background. Now bear that in mind. It's the Employment Equity Act. And bear in mind also that there's no other legislative complier or compliance uh, methodology or compliance legislation, nothing else, just the Employment Equity Act. So that's the status quo in 1998. And going forward, 
And to this day, we do not have overarching legislation for disability. There's a whole battery of legislation that mentions disability, but only one still is explicit, and that's the Employment Equity Act. Now, so my career, one of the things that I noticed was that there was this obsession to try and employ people with disabilities, regardless of anything, just, okay, we've got to get the numbers up, numbers up, numbers up. And <laughs> you can imagine it didn't work. It really, and it still isn't working, by the way, um, because you, you're employing people in a vacuum. You can't employ people in a vacuum. And by vacuum, I mean that um, where there's little support, little understanding, little appreciation of the issues surrounding disability, the needs, the requirements, the 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 extra attention, the essentially the understanding of disability. And so that's the vacuum I'm talking about because there was there is so little understood about disability, particularly in the world of work. So I started looking at not hiring people with disability, or working towards hiring people with disabilities. What I started working towards was preparing environments to be less difficult for people with disabilities to be hired into. So I called it a disability integration preparation. So that's the model that I use, disability integration preparation. Very quickly, I I, I saw a, a potential for a model that I've been mulling around. And so I started, I created a model, which I called the, the, a perspective view or a trinocular view. And here's how it goes. It's, it's, and I'll explain it in short, and then I'll go into detail in the first part of it. So essentially, you have, you have in our country an obsessive reliance on the compliance of a couple of pieces of legislation if we want to get somewhere in terms of disability inclusion. I say obsessive because and that's why I use the word compliance, because there is this, this need to uh, comply and because there's a lot of stick and a lot of carrot in terms of several pieces of legislation in this country. So that's what I mean about compliance. Now, before I go into any detail in that, I want to just look at the other two that aren't taken into account in this model. So it's a model which which looks at three things. And my argument is that we tend to focus too much on the one without taking the other two into account. So mm-hmm. I talk about lenses. So we look at the compliance lens. But what we rarely do is click lenses into something really important is to explain why disability is so compromised. And so I call that the human rights view or the human rights lens. So just to repeat, the first lens is a compliance or legislative lens. The second lens is the human rights lens. What is the reality of disability in all its guises? And I'll explain that in another session. And then lastly, click the lens one more time so that you've got one a third, and a third lens we're looking through now, and that I call the business case. And that, to my mind, is the best kept secret of all, is do we ever consider disability as consumers, as customers, as, uh, as citizens who have the right to live, learn, earn, and play? And so that's your three lenses. Now, if you only look and you only 
are active in the one lens, which is the compliance and legislative, you're going to struggle because you're not seeing the bigger picture. You're not seeing the, the, the real side of disability, the human rights side, and you're not seeing the business case because all you are, you're obsessively trying to comply. So that in a nutshell, Lois, is the, is the model. I call it a trinocular view. So three lenses or the compliance. Oh, sorry. The, the, um, uh, what did I call it? Um, Perspective view. So yeah. So that's the that's that's in a natural. And I can explain it them in, in, in sequence. Well, I think, you know, in, in time we will look at all three and take them as a whole. Because for me, I, I what I'm hearing is you're saying by looking only at the compliance side, the the legislative legislative side. Mm. It's taking disability out of context. And absolutely. That becomes a very yeah, a, a, a dangerous, not dangerous, but it becomes a very simplistic way of looking at it. But to understand that side of things, I suppose we have to start with the legislative side. Yes. What yes. is the realities of a company? looking to employ someone with a disability what is the legal the compliance side that Good. have to shape that okay end? so all right so remember the constitution including disability which then spawned in many ways the employment the employment equity act so for an act to work you need to have certain compliance methodology. You've got to have certain. You've got to have certain sticks and carrots. To, otherwise, nobody would pay any attention to it. Oh, you have to measure. Um, you know, it's like driving through a red robot. There has to be a consequence. So, initially, nobody knew what on earth was going on. The Department of Labor, uh, who is the sponsor of the Employment Equity Act, um, tried various means to to get companies to comply. And they had varying degrees of success. And so by complying, they expected the employer to jump through quite serious hoops, actually. They needed to, for the first time ever, they needed things like employment equity committees. And then they needed to start looking at their employees um, in terms of the affirmative action that um, stipulations that they had put out in terms of race, gender, and disability. And what that meant was you've got to count the numbers. Then very quickly they realized, hang on, okay, it's not good enough just to have numbers. We need to, hereby, by the way, is a, here is hiding a big dragon, which I'll explain just now. Um, so one of the first things they, they, they tweaked was to ensure that people understood that you've got to measure the levels of employment of persons of, of sorry, forget people disabilities. These are just the affirmative action designated groups technically the three, you should measure the levels of employment. No good saying in a mine, okay, I've got 100,000 black people and I've got 200 white people and all the white people are on the top um, running the business and all the black people are underground doing the mining. That's not employment equity, okay? So that's window dressing. So what's very important is to say, okay, so what levels of employment? Now, we've only got white guys at the top and no black guys, then clearly something needs to be changed. And that's excellent. 
And that's why we've got an enormous burgeoning middle class in this country who are black. We have a bigger black middle class in this country now than the entire white population. And that's entirely due to the Employment Equity Act. So this is all good stuff. The trouble is, is that there was this, this, this rather, this rather difficult child called disability that we needed to deal with in the Employment Equity Act. Companies had no clue. And this is where the first wheel came off, is that the Department of Labor did not stipulate that you had to measure the levels of employment for persons with disabilities. It was simply good enough to have the numbers. On top of that, the Department of Labor put out that 2% of your workforce needed to be made up of people with disabilities. Sounds like a reasonable amount. And I can tell you now, 25 years after the Employment Equity Act came out, we still haven't achieved that 2%. 25 years. And the reason is because people began to be quite obsessive about the employment equity, rushing around like chickens without heads, um, trying to comply with these three designated groups, spending an inordinate amount of time, and rightly, on the racial side and the gender side paying very little attention to disability. Now, here's my argument, which is why I have this model, is that because we're only looking at employment, remember the Employment Equity Act says it all, the Employment Equity Act. It has no jurisdiction outside of the employment arena, the labor arena. It can only dictate and influence the employment arena. Um, and so, Absolutely no attention in the country was paid to other really important things in the in the country, things like education related to disability, transport related to disability, um, economic situations like housing um, related to disability. So absolutely no energy. So a huge amount of energy flapping about uh, trying to comply with the Employment Equity Act and absolutely none legislatively on the other elements of disability inclusion. So that's, in my view, the big mistake. So now, the, this has become, it's become harder and harder for companies. It's become more and more onerous to comply. And there's more hoops to jump through. The Department of Labor has now, 25 years later, created an incredibly strict regime that companies have to jump through and they've had to employ more people to help them jump through these hoops. And so you've got very complex matrices, matrix um, to fill in, in terms of your employment structure. Every single person in the business has to be tracked, not only in terms of their race and gender, but their position um, and, and their likelihood for growth. Um, and where you've got gaps, where you've got some jobs or some positions that are not filled by potentially designated groups. And what is your plan to fill that with a person from a designated group? So all this, in, you won't believe, the, and any HR person would smile when he hears this because he would relate, because it's become tougher and tougher to do. Then the compliance became punitive. And they started throwing the book when people didn't comply. And in the last iteration, not quite the last, but the, the recent, fairly recently, um, there has been actual, actual fines, big fines, eh? Big fines, millions of rand, 
um, to companies that have not complied. Now, so this is the background um, to the Employment Equity Act. So you can see why I, I focused on compliance because there's an enormous amount of, of frenetic energy around this. And the trouble is, is it builds resentment. So you get what's called equity fatigue or compliance fatigue where you're, you're – and by the way, this is not the only one. There's another piece of legislation called Triple BWE, mm. completely separate to the Employment Equity Act, came out two years after the Employment Equity Act and only focuses on one designated group, um, no, you know, namely black people, right? And also, once again, fine, that's great. The trouble is it doesn't recognize disability across the board. It recognizes disability tacitly from a, a black person's point of view, but it categorically excludes white disability. Now, this is not an employment legislation. It's, a, it's actually a supply chain legislation, except in 2007, they decided to add an employment equity component in it. And so what happened is you've got your, your companies beginning to become confused between employment equity on the one hand and, and triple BWE on the other hand. And I've often heard companies using them interchangeably, and they're not the same thing at all. The one act reports to the Department of Trade and Industry, and the other act reports to the Department of Labor. They are not similar in the slightest. And yet, what we've got now, you've got companies who have to still make their widgets and still sell their stuff, now having to jump through these hoops. And so you've got this fatigue coming in, this compliance fatigue, triple BWE on the one hand and employment equity on the other. And by the way, skills development has, it's now, um, by this time, skills development has also gone into the mix and you've got compliance drama around there too. So what you've got now is you've got an employer community who are exhausted, exhausted from this frenetic energy towards compliance, 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 compliance. They see very little result coming out of it, actually. A lot of it's make work. And here's the thing. This ability has somehow got to be incorporated into this, into this matzo pudding, as we call it, um, it's in some way, disability has to still be credited and still be acknowledged. And so in this culture of compliance fatigue, people with disabilities stick their hands up and say, um, by the way, we're still, um, we were still waiting for those jobs. We still want to be employed. And how come we're not being acknowledged? Why aren't we in employment equity? And companies are going, oh, for heaven's sakes, how much more do we have to do? And so that's what why I created this model, because I'm trying to illustrate that if you fixate and focus too much on the compliance view, then you're really going to come unstuck. And I'm afraid the, the numbers are, are, are prove me right, because we are still to this day, we're only hovering around the 1% mark. Um, and this is the bit that really gets me, um, is that the Department of Labor has failed twice now because this is now and right now literally the president signed into law literally two days ago the employment equity amendment act now this is the second amendment we've had in 25 years and neither time did they um, acknowledge that we need to measure the levels of persons with disabilities employed which is why you have such those people with disabilities who are employed are almost always underemployed. 
And they're almost always at lower levels in the business because the Employment Equity Act has not incorporated disability um, at, 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 in, at, in to measure the levels. And that is a huge indictment against the Department of Labor. So I think that's really, in a nutshell, the compliance side of the thing. The question that keeps popping into my mind just in listening to what you're saying is how do we how do we get round or get through the problems caused by this? Because it has some very basic realities and challenges that, that come up for people like you and I living with a disability who are trying to enter the job market and no, absolutely. Whose, whose responsibility is it to fix this because as you oh. say you know looking at compliance as an isolated factor within the much broader context of the worldview of the infrastructure the education the the realities of you know the the, the south african situation yeah. yeah. Well, well, the answer to your question, the, the bonus is entirely on the Department of Labor, and they've dropped them all. Um, you know, they, they, they should be credited for working really hard towards making the system from a racial point of view, and, they've, and it's achieved a great deal. A lot of people would be cynical about that, but I honestly believe that our burgeoning middle class is directly linked to employment equity from a racial point of view. Um, I, I totally it, agree, and it was a very important thing that had to be done. Absolutely. And then gender as well. Women, you know, when women have seen growth opportunity in their in their employment opportunity second to none. I mean, there's no question that women would still argue that there is still a glass ceiling and there's still some of that problem. But the fact is that this this particular machine actually works rather well towards that uh, because of those very clear matrix that, that matrices that you have to fill in. It's it, you can see at a glance what needs to be done. It's very very clever. The problem is, is that it utterly, utterly failed. Now, I mean, I've had meetings with employment equity commissioners. There are several commissioners. They literally sit on a thing like a board called the Employment Equity Commission. And every time I meet with the commissioner, they agree full wholeheartedly with me. Um, I've been writing about this for 20 years. Um, and I've been speaking about it for 20 years. And <laughs> unfortunately, you know, this it doesn't always land. So the best thing I can do is to educate companies, which is what I do. And, and I always give them the, the whole picture. Um, and I always say to them, regardless that you have to look at the designations of your, the, the, the levels of your employment, don't let that stop you from looking at the levels of employment. And so when, when a company becomes disability confident or more disability confident, one of the things you'll notice is that they employ people at higher levels, employ people with disabilities at higher levels, executive levels, senior levels, management levels, supervisory levels. Um, and that's a great sign. Then you know that something's going right. The sad thing is, is that not because they have to, they're doing it because they want to or because they've realized that there's a bigger picture here. And that's good news. The trouble is, is that there are, you know, there must be, I don't know, 100,000 companies probably, or maybe 300,000 companies in this country that have to comply. And 
um, only a minuscule percentage of those have actually worked this little thing out. So sadly, this is this will never be pervasively understood as long as one we are obsessed with complying with this thing. Two, that the actual mechanism itself is discriminatory, which it categorically is. Um, categorically is. So that's really that's really our 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 challenge here. So in the next sessions, what we'll talk about is looking at why it's important to see the whole picture, the reality check on the one hand, and the next session we'll talk about the business case. Because when you see those three things, then the penny, when I've noticed this with my clients, that when the penny drops, then suddenly the opportunities arise um, and you find greater employment, uh, greater employability of people, you know, with, with great degrees of um, skill and expertise. And I'll cover that in the next session. I think you've left us with quite a lot of food for thought and going into the the other two lenses in the next two episodes is going to be no doubt of equal value to building a full picture of the, the reality out there. Mm. So thank you for for sharing those insights with us. And yeah, we will definitely look forward to digging into the other two lenses in coming episodes. If people would like to reach out to you to, to find out more about the work that you're doing to help broaden the perspective, how can they find you? So it's easiest way would be just to find me through the website www. Uh, dot sorry www. Um, or emailing me at jeremy at disability desk. They can find me on LinkedIn as well. Great, and I would encourage people to do that if they're interested in learning more about the work that you do. Jeremy, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of A Different Way of Seeing, and we will definitely touch base with you on those other two lenses in the Thank coming you. weeks. Thanks, Lois. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful being back, uh, as always, and I look forward to our next session. Thank you. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you, so find Lois at loistrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachan Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachan using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. Naledi Media, all your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Yazi. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.